John 1.14 says, The Word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. We have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. Our prayer is that you might see God's love and faithfulness as you listen to our Sunday morning message here at First Methodist Bryan. Good to be with you all today, church. Like I said, my name is Pastor Jeremy Bass. If you have your Bibles with you and you want to open them up, we're in the book of Nehemiah today. This is our last week in the Nehemiah series. So, so we're in Nehemiah chapter 12. Verses 27 through 31. This is the, the end of the sermon series, and for the month of July, we're going to be doing some standalone sermons, and we're going to have some different voices come and preach. It'll be a great July, and I'm very excited for it. Uh, but today, our text is from the book of Nehemiah, chapter 12, verses 27 through 31, and then skipping down, verse 38 through 43. Hear the word of the Lord. Oh, also, on the screen is going to be the NIV, and I left my NIV Bible at home. So I am reading from the NLT, so that's the disparaging discrepancy. Uh, Nehemiah 12, 27 through 31. For the dedication of the new wall of Jerusalem, the Levites throughout the land were asked to come to Jerusalem to assist in the ceremonies. They were to take part in the joyous occasion with their songs of thanksgiving and with the music of cymbals, harps, and lyres. The, the singers were brought together from the region around Jerusalem, from the villages of the Nedephites, and they also came from Beth Gilgal and from the rural areas of Geba and Avzameth. For the singers had built their own settlements around Jerusalem. The Levites and the priests first purified themselves, and then they purified the people, the gates, and the wall. I led the leaders of Judah to the top of the wall and organized two choirs to give thanks. One of the choirs proceeded southward along the top of the wall to the dung gate. And skipping down to verse 38. The second choir went giving thanks northward around the other way to meet them. I followed them together with the other half of the people along the top of the wall past the tower of the ovens to the broad wall, then past the Ephraim gate to the old city gate past the fish gate to the tower of Hanal and on to the tower of the hundred. And then we continued on to the sheep gate and stopped at the guard gate. The two choirs that were giving thanks then proceeded to the temple where they took their place and so did I together with the group of leaders that were with me. We went together with the trumpets playing priest, Elikiam, Messiah, Miniman, Micaiah, Elanoni, Zechariah, and Hananiah. And the singers, Maasiah, Shemaiah, Elazar, Uzi, Jehonan, Malchiah, Elam, and Ezer. And they played and they sang loudly under the direction of Jezariah, the choir director. Many sacrifices were offered on that joyous day, for God had given the people cause for great joy. The women and children also participated in the celebration, and the joy of the people of Jerusalem could be heard from very far away. The word of God for you and me, the people of God. Thanks be to God. I'm going to give you all a little tip every time you're in a Bible study. Uh, when you come across a name that you do not know how to pronounce, just say it with confidence, and no one will know if you're butchering it or not. So that's just a fun tip for you all next time you come across bunches of names like that. Uh, but what's going on in this text 
is this is the the capstone of the book of Nehemiah, the, the celebration that the walls of Jerusalem have been rebuilt, the people have rededicated their lives to the Lord, and now is the time for them to celebrate and rededicate this wall to the Lord, to celebrate all that God has done in their midst. It's this momentous celebration, this momentous occasion for joy of the people of God. And they have so many people, if you notice in the text, that they bring in all these Levites and all these singers and all these people who can uh, do music. And they, there's so many of them that they have to camp out in tents in the suburbs of Jerusalem. That's how big and momentous this occasion is in Israel's history. There's so many people that they can't fit within the walls of Jerusalem. And they're celebrating the work of God among them. They're celebrating what God has done in their midst. And I think that's something in the church that we don't really do a great job of. We very quickly move on to the next thing and we don't take time maybe in our own personal lives or in our own church life to celebrate when God does something big in our midst. And so what the people do is what Nehemiah describes is he takes the two choirs and the two peoples of Jerusalem, he divides them in half and there should be an image of what Jerusalem looked like in those days that should be up on the screen, yes. So if you look, uh, Jerusalem is built on top of a mountain. And so what happens is, is the people start at the bottom of the mountain and they take one group to go up the right and one group to go up the left. And uh, they go upwards to the top of the mountain, Mount Zion. And so when you read in Scripture, Mount Zion, that's literally the mountain that the temple of the Lord is built on top of. So the people are going and they're walking on top of the walls of the temple and they're celebrating and being joyous and singing and shouting and dancing all the while. And then they get to the very top of Jerusalem and they meet together right at the temple of God. And they go and they worship the Lord and they celebrate all that God has done in the temple of the Lord, the newly rebuilt temple that had happened years earlier in the book of Ezra. It's this big, momentous, joyous occasion. I want us to imagine being one of those people walking on top of the walls, the the no-named Israelite who lived in Jerusalem at that time. I want you to put yourself in their shoes for a moment and think back to the beginning of the book of Nehemiah, thinking back to the beginning of this series and how the story of Nehemiah starts out. It starts out from a place of devastation. It starts off from a place of mourning, a place when the enemies of God are actively mocking the people of God. Just put yourself in in their shoes that you remember the rubble of the wall. You remember the charred bricks of the wall. You remember the the sense of unease and the sense of not being safe within Jerusalem. And then suddenly Nehemiah comes into that space of devastation and presents this vision of hope once more, that the walls can be rebuilt, that we will rebuild the walls of Jerusalem once more. And so he invites you to participate in the rebuilding of the walls. And so you start to rebuild in the middle of your rebuilding, the enemies of God come against you. And so there's this moment, this picture that's painted in the book of Nehemiah where the people are rebuilding with a sword in one hand and bricks in the other that they're 
defending against the enemies of God, but they're still rebuilding. That you're protecting your home and your family, but you're continuing on the progress of the wall until finally the wall is done in 52 days. And after 52 days, you and all your other friends and family gather together and rededicate your life to the Lord. There's this big, momentous moment where you turn a new leaf in your life, where you as a people of God turn a new leaf, and you think about that journey, right? It starts off from a place of devastation, a place of hopelessness, a place of sorrow and suffering. And then they go from this journey from there to hope, to realized hope, and then culminating here in Nehemiah 12 with celebration, shouting, and dancing. And as they're walking along the walls, can you just imagine being one of those people? And you're walking the walls and you're remembering how it used to be. You're remembering the rubble. You're remembering all those feelings that you had, and you come across the portion of the wall that you yourself helped build. And you are overcome with joy that I remember when this used to be rubble, but look at it now. It is complete, it is strong, and they have this overwhelming sense of joy that comes from what God has done in their midst. There's this real celebration taking place among the people here in Nehemiah. And this real celebration of the people of God is this deep upswelling within our soul of gratitude at the work of God in our lives. In the church, I think there's two different types of celebration we often do. There's this real celebration that we see here in the book of Nehemiah, but I think we often do what's what I like to call this sort of fake celebration. This real celebration is what we see here in Nehemiah 12 where the, it's this hard-won celebration, this endurance celebration. It's a celebration of going through trials, going through suffering. It's this deep upwelling within our soul, something that we cannot manufacture ourselves. And this fake celebration, which is, I think, something we expect of ourselves to do a lot, is this mask that we have to put on. It's just pretending that everything is fine on the outside while inwardly we are dying and wasting away. But friends, God doesn't call us to pretend. Being a real Christian is not about being happy all the time. Being a real Christian is about being honest with the Lord wherever you find yourself. If you're in the midst of rubble and ruin and devastation or you're dancing on top of completed walls real celebration that god calls us to is an upwelling within our souls that can only come from the work of god in our lives that can only come from what god has done in our midst this is what we see here in the book of nehemiah that the people are overflowing with joy and they don't have to manufacture it but they're overflowing with joy because of what god has done among them as we look at this tension in our own lives there's this tension that exists within the christian life and the christian faith there's this tension between uh suffering and glory this tension between the cross and the resurrection these two truths that we that seem to be paradoxical to each other that seem to be opposites but yet both are true at the same time and we hold them together in this tension that somewhere within our lives we either live more on the side of the cross or we live more on the side of the resurrection. 
that this is the reality of our own personal lives, that our lives aren't always filled with celebration, that sometimes it feels like we live more in seasons of rubble than on seasons of dancing on top of broken walls. We feel more like we're in a valley, that we're in a season that we'll never escape from, and we feel hopeless and tired and weary. And so when we read things like this in Scripture, of an image of a celebratory parade of the people of God dancing and shouting and feeling the victory, that it can feel so far off and distant from us because it seems like all we live in is the rubble and ruin and devastation. We feel more like our lives are on the side of the cross than on the side of the resurrection. And when we look at our own lives, we look at our own church, our family, our work, our friendships, or our very soul, we think that devastation and brokenness will be what defines us, and there is nothing in our lives to celebrate. But as we look at the story of Nehemiah, we look at the overarching story of Scripture and the story of Jesus. The story of Nehemiah is a story of victory to defeat, from broken walls to rebuilt walls, from despair to hope, from death to life, and it begins not in a moment of triumph, but in a moment of weakness, that it ends in dancing and joy and laughing and celebration, but it begins with the people of God mourning over the state of their lives. I remember there was this one moment growing up. There was these, uh, in elementary school, there was these like little building blocks. They were supposed to use to teach us math, but I never used them for math. So you had like the one cube, and it was one, and then you had the little like 10 thing, and that was 10, and then you had the block, and it was supposed to teach you about math or such, but I never used it for that. We would always use it uh, growing up to like build big structures. You know, as a kid, you just love to like build the tallest tower. It was one of my favorite things to do. And I remember in class, we were building this really tall tower, and I was building, and I was so proud of how tall I got this tower. I had gotten it so big, and everyone was going to be impressed by how big this tower was. And if you've ever built a tower before, what do people love to do to towers? Knock it down. And so I remember I was just so proud of how tall this tower was. And then this kid just comes over and he just knocks it down. And I remember I was just like crushed. You know, just that like soul crush, like, oh no. I spent so much time on this. I was just crushed in my soul and I was like, I can't cry over this tower. This is just a silly tower. There's no reason that I should cry, so I just have to kind of pretend on the outside like everything is okay and not feeling like I'm just devastated at the crumbled tower before me. I think that's often what it's like in our own lives is we have this big thing in our lives. We have these big things that we're so proud of or happy about, and then suddenly something happens, and it feels like that tower that we've put our pride and joy in is suddenly in rubble at our feet. And we're weeping over the devastation, we're weeping over the rubble, and we're wondering what's going to happen next. And as I was thinking about those feelings of valleys, of feeling like when you're in the Christian faith and you're more on the cross and the resurrection, when you're feeling alone, helpless, powerless, the image that the Lord gave me is when you're in that kind of season, when the tower is crumbled before you, is what God does is he doesn't come 
and just speak to you. He comes and he sits with you in the rubble. And he comes and he mourns with you over the brokenness in your life. He comes into the middle of the ruins and he mourns over the broken pieces that the message of the cross is about a God who doesn't sit on his high and lofty throne and watch us suffer, but instead comes into our lives and suffers our suffering, dies our death, and suffers with us in our brokenness. And what this image that the Lord gave me is that he comes into our suffering and he sits with us, but he doesn't just let us stay in our suffering, but he slowly begins to rebuild with us. And he rebuilds it into something better. This is the story of Nehemiah, and this is the story of Christ. The message of the cross is that God doesn't transcend suffering, but participates in it with us. That resurrection, the ultimate hope of our faith, comes not through divine fiat or divine decree. It comes through the suffering and death of Jesus on the cross. That in the moment of our greatest defeat is actually the moment of our greatest victory. That life comes after death and that rebuild comes in the middle of our rubble. As we think about the final sermon in this series and this overarching theme throughout the book of Nehemiah, that the climax of the book of Nehemiah is one of celebration. It's one of joy. It's one of restoration. It's one of rebuilt walls. And here's the message that I think the Lord is saying to us as a church today, that we as a church are going to be okay. We are going to be all right. I'm going to be all right. You're going to be all right. And this church is going to be all right. Not because of us, or who we are, or what we do, but because of who the God that we serve is. Because we will celebrate like the people in Nehemiah celebrate. We will be filled with joy because that is what happens when we go through suffering to the resurrection. Uh, the day of the resurrection, the women are filled with great joy seeing that Jesus is alive. Friends, we will have great joy once more. And however you may feel, whether you feel like you're in the beginning of the story of Nehemiah, you're sitting in rubble, you're sitting in mourning, sitting in devastation, wondering how long will I be in this season? Maybe you've been in this season for years or months and you're just wondering when will the broken pieces start to get put back together? Maybe you're just starting the process of rebuilding or you're in the middle of it or you're at the end of it and you're ready to celebrate wherever you find yourself on the spectrum. The truth is always this, that our story as Christians ends in resurrection. Our story always ends in victory. Our story always ends in joy because our God is the God of life and not the God of death. There's this interesting moment when I, a few weeks ago, uh, that I preached on Nehemiah 4, where the enemies of God come up against uh, the people of God. And there's this really interesting uh, accusation that's leveled against the people of God in Nehemiah 4, verse 2. The enemies of God says this, saying in front of his friends and the Sumerian army officers, they said, what does this bunch of poor, feeble Jews think they're doing? Do they think that they can build the wall in a single day by just offering a few sacrifices? Do they think that they can make something of the stones from a rubbish heap and charred ones at that? 
There's this accusation that the, the stones that they're using to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem are so broken and burned and charred that there's no way that they can rebuild using those stones. What I find interesting is when you read the text of Nehemiah, it never refutes the fact that the stones are burned and charred and broken. But the truth is, is that what God uses to rebuild the walls are those very charred and burned and broken stones. When we look at our own lives and we look at when we rebuild, that God uses those charred, broken stones in our own lives to rebuild into something better. That the charred, broken stones in your life are not beyond brokenness for God. That your wounds are not beyond healing. Your brokenness is not discarded by God. But instead, it is those very pieces of brokenness. It is those very charred and burned and broken parts of our lives that the Lord uses to rebuild into radiant scars that shine forth the light of Christ. Church, do we believe that our wounds, that our charred, burned, and broken stones that we have, these things that we, we feel have no use to the Lord, do we think that those moments of our greatest weakness, those moments of our greatest hurt will become the things of our greatest victory? Do we trust that God is doing something new in our midst? I want to invite the band back up as we close with the story. It's a story from one of my favorite books I already lifted up in the series. It's called Wounds That Heal. And he talks about this story of, of healing and inner healing in the life of a Christian. And this is from the final chapter called Radiant Scars, about how God takes our wounds and he heals them until we have scars on our bodies that radiate the light of Christ and he shares this testimony of one of his students, a woman named Maggie Greathouse. And she shares this story about how her scars became radiant. And her testimony is that when she was eight months old, uh, her father murdered her mom. And she describes growing up with that sort of paw over her life. And she says this, That eerie, sketchy story hounded my childhood and my adolescence. It was an identity that I refused to acknowledge but that wound and its implications were inescapable throughout my life. In other words, she had these charred, burned pieces of rubble, these things that she hated about herself. And she talks about the journey that she found healing, and she says this, that the evil in her life by which she never wanted to be identified had become the supreme demonstration of God's power and grace. And she expressed it, Christ came and took that curse and blessed me and is making me a blessing in the midst of and even in spite of what my father did. Indeed, I am the genetic daughter of a murderer, but much more am I the ransomed, healed, restored, and forgiven adopted daughter of the King of Kings, the sister of the Prince of Peace, that my father's violence in my life did not get the last word. Evil has not ultimately triumphed. And she, old, and she pointed to her healing by pointing not to the resurrection, but by pointing to the cross. That it is through Christ's wounds that her wounds and Christ's wounds were brought together and she found healing there. And through that process, her scars became radiant. She says this, reflecting on her own suffering. 
I do not fully know why I suffered this loss, nor why my birth father's injustice had scarred my face. However, I know the one who was scarred for me. And when I break open the words of God to those who do not know him, my own scars will testify to the reality of his grace, to his scars. Indeed, as the scripture says, by his wounds we are healed. Church, the walls will be rebuilt, not with new stones from the quarry down the road, but from the charred, burned, and broken stones that we already have in our lives. And when Jesus is done rebuilding it, it will radiate like the noonday sun, and we will dance, and we will sing, and as Nehemiah says, our celebration of rejoicing will be so loud that it can be heard from miles away. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Thank you for listening with us. We hope that you have encountered the risen Jesus today. If you want to hear more, please consider subscribing. We would also welcome you to join us in person. For more information, please visit us at fmcbryan.org.